So I thought if I could just flood America with positive and neutral pictures of fat people who are fucking tired of apologizing for their fat, I thought it would change minds of sizists. And what I didn't realize was it was mostly the fat people who needed to have their minds changed. They weren't there yet. Nobody was there yet. You are listening to Made of Human, also known as the Mopad, a podcast hosted by Sophie Hagen, who is a Danish comedian. Mopad. Trying to find out Mopad. how to do life. Mopad. But it turns out Mopad. nobody knows. Sanja Jones is a radical fat liberation photo activist, having taken over 800 photos of unapologetically naked fat people since 2007. Her work is incredibly important to, well, I'll say the whole world. But specifically fat people who never get to see our bodies represented in a beautiful, honest, vulnerable and strong way. She's also a 60-year-old fat queer woman who's desperate for casual queer sex. This episode was recorded in mid-January 2021, less than a week after white supremacists stormed the Capitol in Washington, and the UK Prime Minister announced that the COVID-19 numbers are at their highest ever, and the entire country is in a strict lockdown. Thus... I was in my very soft bathrobe, yesterday's leftover makeup on my face, and my brain racing. Not because of the horrors of the world, but because I started seeing a new therapist. Not instead of my usual one, but in addition to. And she stirred up a lot of stuff, so now my OCD is absolutely off the charts. The way it manifests itself is that I have now become obsessed with decorating my bathroom. And it's not the classic, you know, I have OCD, so I need to wash my hands a lot trope that you know, what most people think OCD is. It's an intense, literally painful, compulsive and obsessive need to make sure that everything matches in color and texture. It's seeing that it's 9.30pm and wondering if I could paint the entire bathroom between now and tomorrow morning because my heart is beating so fast that I probably won't be able to sleep anyway. It's almost cancelling my chat with Substantia Jones just so I could look at 400 different types of wicker baskets just to find the ones in the perfect size. 26 times 35 times 16 centimeters and it's not a millimeter more or less. So that was the mindset with which I met Substantia Jones on Zoom. 6pm in London, 1pm in New York. You'll be able to hear my dog Hank snoring in the background as usual, but this time at least there's no barking. You may be able to hear him right now, just licking his nose, I think is what he's doing. Hello. Hey. <laughs> Don't know if you can hear the mouth sounds. Now, despite touching upon some heavy subjects, this felt like a very warm and light-hearted conversation. Substantia is so, so lovely, and you're going to fall right in love with her, just like I did. Please enjoy my conversation with the wonderful fat icon, Substantia Jones. I am here in New York City in Manhattan, where I live. I'm at my desk, which is in my living room. Uh, I am 
I'm I I never I'm afraid of the word happy, but I'm I'm happy of center. Let's say that I'm happy of center. I'm uh, dealing, of course, as we all are, with feelings about friends who are sick, friends who have left us, friends who are in serious condition right now. I'm worried about my family. Um, uh, dealing with all that, dealing with ang- a weird combination of COVID-related anger and compassion, often toward the same person. So it's you know it's kind of complicated um, when people you love. Uh, disappoint you in this regard and you know but at the same time you're very worried about them that's where I am I'm a big mixed up hodgepodge of too much caffeine and uh that you there's so many plants around you um yeah they're so totally fake Sophie I read, I can't listen. When I bring real plants into my home, it's just carnage. Uh, I cannot keep a plant alive. I can't keep fucking snake plants alive. Can I curse? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, especially when it's about snake plants. So I I read that, but I I continue trying, you know, like I found a, 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 a dead plant someone had thrown away in my building. I brought it in, brought it back to life. I thought, great, this is, I'm ushering in a whole new me. And of course, then I killed it. When my this radio station where I had a show, when they were moving to another studio, they insisted I take home this big, beautiful jade plant. I said, no, 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 no. You're sending it to its you know, certain death. Um, and I, I killed it right away right away so but i read that having uh good quality fake plants in your home can give you the same thing that real plants do i mean not physically but mentally and emotionally um so i bought a buttload of my favorite uh plants in fake form and i keep them uh, far away from where guests can actually get up close enough to see them. But here I've just busted myself. So, you know, I can't keep a secret. Do you kill your plants with neglect or over, over caring? Definitely over caring. Uh, and, and so I try to dial back on my mothering slash smothering and it just doesn't, it doesn't work. Um, I've always killed plants. I've killed plants. People say, oh no, you need this one. It's indestructible. I say, you don't know me. You just don't know me. Yeah, I'm exactly the same. I'm from my mother. My mother was a great gardener and always had wonderful houseplants. Um, but I just never, I never picked it up. I just, I just can't do it. So fortunately, I've also chosen never to reproduce uh, because I, you know, I can't be responsible for offspring either. You think that would be a case of overcaring as well? Um, actually, yes, because when I hear stories about kids doing normal kid stuff like climbing a tree, riding a bike, I think I would never let my child do any of those things, even though they're normal. And I, when I grew up, you know, I was neglected as fuck. I mean, my, my kid brother and I were constantly in the ER getting tetanus shots because we never wore shoes. And as an adult, I think, why didn't my mom just make us start wearing shoes? You know, I mean, this was back in the days where pop tops from cans, you 
don't, you're way too young to remember this, but there used to be pop tops. You'd open a can, a beer or a drink or that sort of thing. And instead of it staying attached as it does now, it would pop, it would come off and be a curly little razor that people would toss on the ground. So I was constantly stepping on them and and stepping on bees and, you know. Oh my God. Was that just, are you saying neglect in like a sort of fun, I kept stepping on bees kind of way? Or do you also mean like emotional, physical neglect? I'll answer your question, Sophie, but. I don't know why you think stepping on bees is fun. Okay, we'll have to get back to that another time. But um, it was, uh, I would say neither maybe. It was, you know, my mom had uh, more kids than she knew what to do with. And she was very preoccupied with mm. other things going on in her life. And uh, just, you know, that kind of neglect. Like I found out as an adult that... I didn't have um, the immunizations that were that kids are by law required to have. And, you know, when I, I had to get a, a health department, um, sorry, mom, I had to get a health department uh, checkup when I started working in hospitals. And they said, you know, you're not immune to any of these things. You should have been, uh, you know, you're immune to chicken pox and mumps. I said, oh, that's because I had them both. <laughs> So I had to get kid, you know, child immunizations as an adult. But, you know, mom just had a lot on her mind. When you keep talking about this as if it was like the olden days, can I ask how old you are? I'm 60. So 60. this is the old days. We're talking about the legit olden days, Sophie. I'm not making that shit up. I'm 60. Wow. Born in 60. So, yes, this is olden days. You saw the Berlin Wall. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm, I'm kind of alarmed that you think that's olden days. But, yes, I did. <laughs> yes, amazing. Definition of olden days. Yes. I, so I, I guess within that, within the context, the you not wearing shoes and all that was it less uh less of a big deal um when you were growing up compared to now when everything is quite intense in terms of what you're allowed to do to kids um i mean of course i didn't realize it was an issue at the time kids just go with whatever they are experiencing and people always say kids are so resilient well ask some therapists how resilient kids are because we may seem resilient and in, in our ignorance at the time but you know this shit puts us on therapists couches you know pretty hardcore so um i i don't really know how to answer that question because i still can't interpret it you know you love your parents i will say this both of my parents through all their faults They did their absolute best. I'm convinced of that. They did their best. We didn't, you know, we did without serious things as kids. I mean, I'm talking like love. Uh, and that's, you know, that's to confirmed. But I, but I, they did their best. They were, you know, damaged in their own ways. And this is, that's, you know, this is part of being the cycle of that sort of thing. Um, I've had lots of therapy, but they never had the benefit of any of that. So, you know, I'm 
but I still always knew I was not parent material and never, never wanted to have a baby. And I was married, you know, for a while. And I wanted the option of having a baby because I always want to be the boss. I wanted it to be my decision. But no, I've, I always knew I was not, not a good parent to human babies. Do you, so do you think they go together? Because I think I'd be an amazing parent, but I don't want children. Do you think it's combined that you don't want them and also you'd be a shitty parent? Do you think anyone thinks they'd be a shitty parent, but they want kids? You are absolutely right, Sophie. Um, I believe I maybe see parental mistakes more. Now, I don't always, you know, bring them up because that's also, you know, that's its own issue. But I think knowing what can happen, what shouldn't happen, what does happen has made me fearful that I would be that sort of parent or that I couldn't be the kind of parent that I would want to be. I always knew that. Um, I actually had a family member once tell me, I was fortunate in that I'm, I'm one of four siblings. They all had kids. So nobody ever bugged me. My in-laws did, but otherwise no one ever bugged me, never pushed me to have a child that I didn't want to have. But one of my siblings once said, you're making a very selfish decision not to have babies. I said, I think it's completely the opposite. Um, so yeah, there's that. What did I, how do we get on this topic? <laughs> well, I mean, oh, life, life stuff, right? Well, plants. Well, now what's weird is most of my friends also don't have kids. I'd have to rethink that because maybe that's changed in recent years, but I don't know if I've always been drawn to people who don't have kids or if, if we just sort of somehow organically form a pack. Um, but I'll tell you, I've not yet regretted it. I've known all along. I'll be, I'll be straight. I've known all along that there, that there is a, a type of love and connection with the world that I will never know having no kids. I understand that. I also know that I'm going to die in a nursing home, you know, if I don't, if I'm not lucky enough to die suddenly, because when you don't have kids to take care of you, that's, you know, unfortunately your fate, but it's not, it's never, I've never felt it was worth it to bring a child into the world and then have that kid forever. <laughs> that's the thing. It's so forever. It's so forever. It's not a montage. No. <laughs> all the best moments. That's what. That's the moment I knew I wasn't going to have kids was when I held my friend's baby, and I realized that it didn't stop. Like it was just. It was constant. It was always there. I was like, oh no, no, but I want to be able to walk away and do something else. But you just can't. Some all the time shit, and uh, and I, you know, and it does change your life forever. In, in ways that mortify me. But then again, I don't know that serious, deep love that, you know, that it goes from a parent to a child. I don't know that. So I can't really say my way is right. I can definitely say my way is right for me. And I still feel that way. Well, you say you've been in therapy. I don't know. Have you done any inner child work? Oh, the therapy thing is so complicated. Oh, yeah. 
I've had more bad therapy than good therapy. Oh no. Uh, I, and I, I mean, bad therapists than good. Yeah. Therapy. My last therapist, I thought I, this is great. I found a good fit because you have to find a good fit. They're good. You can meet with many good therapists and just not have a good fit. I found a good fit. Um, it worked for years. She was fascinated by my mother. That was the only problem. She, all she wanted to talk about was my mom. And I said, I get that, but you know, we, I do have other issues, but, um, uh, I, my appointment got changed to after lunch and I discovered that she likes to take a little nap during sessions after lunch. So she started dozing off. And, you know, I was like trying to be compassionate, but it was a problem. But one day she, she asked a question. I answered quite tearfully. Then she woke up and asked me the same question. And I have to say, Sophie, I was, um, my emotion spiked and I stood up and walked out without a word and never went back. And she would call. I would never answer. Uh, I saw her, you know, over the years since then, I've seen her twice on the bus. The first time we talked, she approached me, you know, and asked me if I was okay. And I, <laughs> I thought, should I at some point tell her? And then the second time she didn't see me because I saw her first. I, you know, I, it was, it was, it was traumatizing to know. I mean, you, you give everything to this person, you know, it's such an intimate relationship. And uh, I spoke about this not too long ago in a Facebook post and was surprised by how many people have equally or more mortifying stories. And I, I, I have lots of therapist friends and I want to be compassionate, but I do think there's some jobs where you can't make mistakes. You can't make any sort of mistake. Um, and I have since called her office, her the practice several times to see if she's retired yet. I don't get my name or anything. I just, I'll be more comfortable when I, when I discover that she's gone. Well, it's not even just the mistake because I feel like everyone could, I, I can see myself in the situation where I accidentally fall asleep and it's unforgivable. But then you wake up and you say, this is what happened. Let's, let's talk you back into a place where you feel safe again. I'm so, like, you can, you don't just ignore it and walk away. <laughs> you don't just not answer the phone. No, that's true. But I do, I do think that very often you can doze off and, and wake up and not realize you've dozed off. I oh, yeah, that's not, oh yeah, that's not good. I used to be a directory assistance operator for the phone company. Like you call 411, give me this number, you know, and, um, I, I worked weird shifts. Like sometimes I'd work until 3 a.m. and have to be back at 6 a.m. And uh, so I was often sleepy and I didn't have enough respect for sleep to begin with. So I, I sometimes on, on these overnight shifts, I would, I would doze off. And I once woke up in the middle of a call and I heard myself say, so someone has asked me for a phone number. And I heard myself say, have you looked under the sidewalk? (laughs) (laughs) And I said it so clearly, like no one would ever know this was not a weird thing to say, but it was quite a weird thing to say. And they were like, have I looked under the sidewalk? And I said, oh, I did just say that, didn't I? 
How, so I did. I apologized. I said, I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, to be fair, I once worked in a kindergarten and the kids, I was very tired. And the kids were like, we're going to play house. You're the mommy and you're going to be sleeping. And I was like, no, listen, I can't. And they were like, yes. And they were like tugging me in with like a blanket. And I woke up two hours later with the other teachers being like, what are you doing? The kids have started another game somewhere. And I was like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I was fired very shortly after that. I'm really into my character. <laughs> so when, when did you, when did you, did you always have a, like you're a photographer. Did you always have an eye for the, the visual? Was the, When did you start being good at being the observer? I have much more of an eye than I do uh, technical knowledge. I started, um, I started doing portraiture and art photography in the eighties, the olden, the olden times. <laughs> and um, so, and I was in, I, I won some awards and I was, I'd be juried into shows and they, the jurors would always say the same thing. You have a really good eye. And I I realize that you don't think you're technically good, but if you learn the technical stuff, you could fuck up your eye. So keep on going. And I, you know, they didn't like the camera. They would say, you, you need to upgrade your equipment, but don't worry about the rest. Don't mess up your eye. Keep going. So I've always, um, that was a convenient thing to do because it didn't require any effort. Um, so, uh, that's where I've always been. You know, I just, I trust myself and you keep, you certainly keep growing and learning. I mean, when I, I started the Adipositivity project in 07 and when I go back and look at those early images, it's a real, uh, lesson in humility because you, you know, I hate that. I hate many of them, of course, they're embarrassing, but they're embarrassing because I have improved since then. So if they, if they were exactly like what I shoot today, that should be embarrassing. So I try to revel in the fact that I'm a better photographer today than I was 14, 15 years ago, um, because that's the way it should be. But, you know, still embrace them because they're still, you know, as close to babies as I'll ever have. <laughs> so tell people what the Adipositivity Project is. It is a, a photo activism campaign where basi basically from the viewers and it's uh, primarily a website of about 800 now uh, images, a growing collection of images of unapologetically fat people, mostly naked or almost naked, showing you their body uh, in a casual way. It's non-sexual nudity. It's casual nudity. It's um, folks who are sort of at many uh, different spots in the spectrum of being satisfied and accepting of their body. Some people are, uh, I'm, I, a warning, I'm going to say the word journey here. So <laughs> content alert. Um, some people are at the beginning of their journey and they use posing for me as a stepping stone, you know, toward furthering their um, their J word. Uh, others are well in, well along the way I show up at their apartment and they answer the door fully fucking naked already. You know, they're still naked. We're having coffee afterwards. They're still naked. So uh, people are at all different points. Um, 
in the journey. And then that's just from their standpoint, from the viewer's standpoint, it provides a steady diet of fat positive imagery that you can enjoy to push back against the sizest imagery that we are, you know, having shoved down our throats by media and culture and Western beauty ideals of the very narrow sort. Um, that's really the most beneficial thing you can do to combat that stuff is fuel yourself with knowledge, know that w- what their motivations are, follow the money. That's, you know, why you can ignore what they're doing, but really a steady visual diet of fat positive images. Um, and the bonus is even though fat bodies are so diverse, you with 800 of them, you're bound to find one that looks remarkably like your own. Um, so, and I get that sort of email all the time. Like people say, I've never seen a body like my own, or I've never seen this shape of belly or legs shaped like mine. And today I finally did. Um, and that makes me very happy because I know that feeling we all need uh, to see ourselves represented in our culture. We all need um, the visibility that we are wholeheartedly denied by, uh, uh, it's in, in the U.S. anyway, and in most Western cultures, we are very much denied a normalizing, positive, or even just, you know, just average, just neutral depiction of our bodies. So when did you discover fat activism what where did your journey start <laughs> we really do need to put a content alert yeah. <laughs> Trigger warning. it's um uh it's interesting to answer this because i always feel like i disappoint people with my answer but i'm just going to be straight with you uh i had i i was I was very thin, unusually thin as a child and as a teenager, you know, but I I wasn't really prepared for my body to start to develop. And that's when I started feeling fat. I was not fat, but I felt fat, started dieting. So I dieted my way into being a fat person. And I had the body images that most, that many fat people have. Um, I kept dieting and losing and gaining back and, you know, then gain it back with a dividend. And I, I didn't have as severe a poor body image as a lot of people have that I hear from, but it was enough to keep on this wheel. I think it was more habit that I, you know, felt I, well, it's required of me to be apologetic about the weight. It's required of me to be trying to lose weight. Um, So I kept doing that. And then this is the disappointing part. Uh, I had my first and I had a happy love life and sex life. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I, um, well, I'll leave that, but I had my first partner who had a preference for a fat partner. And this was back when I dated men, which I don't do anymore. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, totally 100% queer now. Um, Thank you, men. Uh, But, but he, he taught me unwittingly what it feels like to have a partner who 
adores every inch of your fat body and devours you hungrily and does not scrape quickly past your belly because they think it will make you feel uncomfortable because it does make you feel uncomfortable. I learned so much from this person who had no idea they were, they were teaching me this. So I decided then I had just left a fiance who actually told me he wanted me to lose weight. Can you, can you picture me with somebody who would do that? (laughs) Oh, and we were living together. I was like, Oh, I'm getting the fuck out of here. Um, But I've, you know, I never looked back from that point that changed my self image. I, it was still a while. So I, you know, I was more focused on the social for a while. Um, And I, I gradually became angrier and angrier about, about visibility, about fat rights and things like that. And I realized with that fiance that I was living with, as much as he thought he hated fat bodies, while we were together, I was his at a positivity project. And over the years, he began to, and he hated it, but he began to see fat bodies as beautiful. And he hated to admit it. Uh, we were living together when Mode Magazine started, again, before your time. He brought it home excitedly. Have you seen this? And he would say, you know, I I feel uncomfortable about this, but I look at fat women differently on the street now, you know, and this pisses me off. <laughs> um, and still I'm, you know, checking the rentals section in the newspaper looking to get out of there. But, um, but I saw a transformation in, in him because of just being exposed to someone who was, starting to be confident about her fat body. So I thought if I could just flood America, another word I hate, um, with positive and neutral pictures of fat people who are fucking tired of apologizing for their fat. I thought it would change minds of sizists. Uh, And what I didn't realize was it was mostly the fat people who needed to have their minds changed. They weren't there yet. Nobody was there yet. So I started this, what was just going to be a a personal little photo blog in 07. Most of the first pictures are of me and some a handful of friends. I mean, who's going to pose for a stranger uh, to put their naked photo on the internet forever. But a few months in, I started getting press attention. And then ever since then, I've had more people than I, you know, have time to shoot. When when you talk to you about having these photos taken, which I've done, you send a pretty heavy uh, document back where you line out all these potential risks, including, you know, these will go on the Internet. People will take them and do bad things with them and stuff, which is... I mean, to be expected, right? Yeah. I want, I just want people to know fully what they're getting into because it's a big step. It's a serious thing. And there, you know, there have been adiposers who've had their lives harmed by being adiposers, had their jobs jeopardized, had their um, child custody threatened in a real legal way. Um, So I want, 
I want people to know everything before, during, and after their shoot that they should expect. And that includes being ridiculed openly. Um, I mean, I, when I can, I do something about it. I do my, my friends in porn taught me how to file a cease uh, order um, when, when your photos are stolen. Mm. Um, So I do that. Um, But, you know, sometimes it, it, things proliferate within seconds and it's hard to put the toothpaste back in the tube, as they say. So I want people to be prepared that they might endure ridicule, sometimes seriously hateful, very public, widespread ridicule. You've just, you've just got to know that you run the risk of that. That's my main concern because I have people and I tell people in that, in that information sheet you're mentioning, I said, how new do you get is up to you. And I want you to think about it very deeply ahead of time, but you don't have to actually decide until we get to the shoot and you meet me. Because what if you want to get naked and then you meet me and you find me creepy? I want you to be able to say, you know, no, we're going to just strip a little bit or something. Um, And I have young people when I ask them, you know, they're taking their clothes off and I say, okay, so how naked do you want to be? And they say, um, uh, yeah, we can go, you know, the whole, uh, now is not the time to think about it like that. You know, I want you to really put a lot into this decision because it's forever. The minute I post it, it's forever. I can take it down and I have taken images down, but it is forever. It's never going away. So, you know, if you ever want to be president, it could be a problem. Which is a lot of problems associated which with is, Which is such a sad fact that, you know, if you're a man, you could sexually assault someone and still be fine. But if you've ever been naked. <laughs> dozens of people and still be fine. But yeah, no. I mean, no, I'm no. just, all, I can't, the, when you were saying that, talking about the you know think about how you know you don't have to decide until you're there that sounds more consensual than most sexual encounters i've had right (laughs) imagine if you went on a date with someone and and, and i'm saying cis men now obviously because that's that's the only place where that's been lacking if they were like you know it's up to you have a think about it and then we'll see and you know, during the thing, we'll talk about how you feel because it's also forever. Once it's happened, it's happened. That's such a complicated thing. And it's very timely because I have, I have been since quarantine, um, like most people, I've been just horny as fuck. And it does something to your head. It changes your attitude it's a whole new rethinking. And I thought, I wonder if other people are feeling this way because I've heard people say, um, I'm never having casual sex again after COVID. And I thought, really? I'm going to have more casual sex at, on the daily than I've ever had before. And, uh, and I've never been a casual sex person because I'm afraid of, you know, falling in love with whomever's giving me orgasms and they're not always the person you want to fall in love with. I'm scared of that. Um, and also it just kind of feels empty usually. So, but I've totally changed my attitude and I posted again, I hate to bring the social up again, but I posted this yesterday and so many people chimed in and said, I feel you. I'm thinking the same thing. I'm introducing 
uh, you know, three sons as soon as this is over. I'm introducing this to my life. I'm pursuing this. Um, you know, we all miss, you know, being buzzed in bars and kissing strangers. It's this is it's a need. Um, and I also have to say, when I I would not feel this way if I were still dating men. This would never work with men. And a lot of women I talk to who've always known they were gay, who've always been a practicing queer person, don't don't get this when I explain that there is an element of um uh I don't want to say fear, but damn if it's not fear. When you date a, a new man for the first time, you know, we've all you know, texted our friend the address where we're going and everything we know, you know, uh, the first time we're going to be alone with them. Oh, here's the address. Because there is always this element of fear. And I'm since I've started dating only women, I find that I'm not experiencing that. And maybe I should. I've been told I should. But I'm just not experiencing that feeling. I feel much more relaxed to um, pursue everything to the length I want to without being concerned about physical fear or, uh, you know, someone fucking me up emotionally and intentionally because they're just weird or anything like that. So I don't, Oh, the casual sex thing. Yeah. Sophie, I have no idea what the original question was. I'm sorry. Me neither. I, this is great. I, I love talking about sex. So I, I do divert into that territory often so I'm sorry I, I have no idea what the original question never was. apologize so is it was it a are you still sexually or romantically attracted to men but you choose not to or have you sort of realized that I'm not at all and um when I first so I'm one of these you know and I think this is kind of a common thing some I don't know who originally said it but someone said all women are gay before they're by the time they're 60. So I'm right on target. So I've always been attracted to both men and women ever since, I mean, all my life, all my life, even from childhood, but I'm, I'm, Oh, it's so weird and complicated. I'm also kind of a, a semi Demi. It's, it's rare that I find a person that I'm, that I actually want to have sex with. It's a totally, you know, attraction and want to have sex with you is, is really, there's a stretch between the two in my world. So, and I, so I never actually met a woman that I wanted to have sex with while I'm meeting men I want to have sex with. So I had relationship after relationship with men. And I would tell them, usually in the beginning, I'm also attracted to women. So you should know, I want to be honest, there will be women in my future, just a heads up. Oh, they love when you tell them that. Um, and I'm being, I'm being very sarcastic. It's actually quite a problem, but I, I never wanted to be dishonest with anybody. So when I, I decided I don't know how much decision was in it, but I started, um, let's call it field research a few years ago <laughs> and realized that I just had never done enough self-examination as far as my sexuality goes, which is so weird because I'm very libidinous. I love the topic. I love talking about it. I love doing it. But there was a, a huge block that had to do with just kind of ignorance about, for example, the butch femme dynamic, which is, you know, 
what what absolutely sends me to the moon. And so I was thinking if I'm not attracted to femme women or I find them attractive, but I don't want to have sex with them, what's up with that? How can I really call myself queer or bi? So I've now figured it out. I'm just so, 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 so strictly into very masculine butch women. And that's my thing. And and it had me confused all my life. I mean, I have memories memories about butch women from childhood on that very they're seared into my brain. Um, but it, you know, I, my ignorance was keeping me sort of confused. So I, when I came out as bi, not that it was any, it wasn't really a coming out. I hate to use that term. Cause I, I was not in the closet. Anybody who asked, I would always say I'm mostly hetero, but you know, <laughs> we'll see. So a few years ago, I decided, okay, I'm, I'm solidly bi. But then I started thinking, wait a minute, I should take my temperature occasionally to see what my status is. So I do. I take my temperature occasionally. My, I, I, I check my oil. Could I ever be attracted to a man again? The answer is consistently, no. I can't imagine it. I can't imagine it. And I, you know, I hope the men in my past aren't offended by that. That would be foolish to be offended by that because I'm, I'm mean now. But no, I cannot imagine being attracted to a man again. I'm, you know, I'm at a point of obsession. So no, and it's, it's not with them. I hope that answers the actual question. <laughs> I mean, I've forgotten the actual question, but it's still... <laughs> Ever am I ever attracted to men? Or oh yeah. Like so I I don't call myself bi anymore. That was ridiculous. That was just. Uh, I mean, I'm a. Uh, I had a crush on a woman a few years ago, and there was a time, a point when I thought she might feel the same way. Turns out, no. Fair enough. But that moment, I got really scared. Suddenly, I felt really scared, and I thought, well, I couldn't, because that's emotionally unsafe. Because with this person, I would, you know, I would have accountability and I would respect her and we would talk about feelings and I wouldn't want to just treat her like shit. And I would have to be really adult and mature. And then I realized that whilst men are a physical danger, emotionally, I feel more detached because they are more emotionally detached to themselves and the world, which is so fucked up and something I'm still trying to deal with. It's fucked up, but it's also kind of sweet and funny. And I had a similar dynamic going with me because I always was dominant with men. And that was so ingrained in me that I couldn't imagine not being dominant with a, with a sexual partner. But yet I also could not imagine dominating a woman that is repulsive to me. I, I would never, I can't imagine that. So that would keep me when I would meet a woman who was into me and I was into her, that would, that would be in my head. Like I can't, I didn't really know how to relate sexually in a non dominant way. And um, I'm proud to say I figured that out now. Oh my God. You must teach. I, I met someone that I, a non-binary person and I, I just tapped into how I am with men and I was all like, what's up? Hey, you look at me like being a bit of a creep and, this person immediately just was like, stop. This is not making me feel good. And I went into this cave of self-exploration being like, why was that my 
Like, do I not know how to relate to someone who isn't a cis man without being all like fenced up and creepy and, you know, toxic masculinity? And I was like, no, I don't know that. That's the only way I know flirtation. And I had to really relearn and go, oh, hang on. This is all. Yeah. The MO is not transferable. It And it, it takes that field research, Sophie, I'm telling you. <laughs> Gotta have their field research. And I was just just getting going in my field research when COVID hit. So thank you, the universe. <laughs> How are you doing with the with the you know, if if what you do is take pictures and now you're not allowed near people? Um, can't do it. Just can't do it. I'm I am uh probably the safest person you'll ever encounter. I have not uh, left my apartment except to go to the hospital and the doctor since March. I have um, a genetic airway defect. I essentially have a little baby's airway. So um, if I get it, I'm just done for. So I'm super careful, super careful. And I'm going to continue to be super careful. Uh, I'll be the last one still wearing masks. So I, I have not had a shoot since last February. I'm, I wrestle with it every day. I have shoots planned that I I constantly wonder, am I being ridiculous? Is it worth the risk? Is there really significant enough risk for me to not do this? Um, and I, you know, I, I change my mind every day. But, but now I'm a bit more sure of myself and I'm standing my ground because now the rates are going just sharply spiking in where I am in New York city and most places. So um, the answer is no, it's not. I find that it's not worth the risk, especially when the end is in sight. And if I have to wait another year, I wait another year. The, the issue. So initially I thought I have lots of images in reserve. The queue is a year long, no problem. But then I soon ran out of those <laughs> images. I told, told people the project is not even going to slow down. Don't worry. But I, it soon had to slow down because I'd run out of images. And then when you come up against things like putting together a calendar, that was a huge challenge. I had to go back and, you know, use images like also rans from shoots that I just had not used. And that sounds like it would make an inferior calendar, but it ended up being pretty great. Uh, and I, it was hard, hard work, but I'm so proud that I was able to do it. And now I've got to try to do it again with the Valentine series because uh, I have really just a couple few uh, new images for this year's Valentine series. And I need, you know, more than a dozen. So I'm going to go back to old, uh, old sweethearts. Um, many of them probably aren't together anymore <laughs> and uh, pull some images from those shoots and use again or, or use for the, not again, but you know, from that shoot. I want to go before we start gearing towards the end, I want to go back to a very early question, which I now realize that you managed to snake your way out of. <laughs> um <laughs> You said that you were going to be a shitty parent. How does that work with you self-parenting? Oh, that's a good one. 
oh, this is this is where I'm going to start to cry. I always feel like I've I've been at the end of interviews. I feel like I've been beaten up and or just had a really really deep therapy session. Um, Self parenting, yeah, I'm probably not not very good at that. Not very good at that. That's a good question though. I don't know. Maybe I'm very good and I just don't realize it. I um I definitely in in the in the arena of giving yourself what you want, I'm very, very, very good at that. That I don't have a problem with. Um, you know, I'm a pleasure junkie and I I don't let myself feel guilt about seeking pleasure that does not victimize others. That's me and that's what it's there for. As far as other sorts of self-parenting, I don't I don't know about that. I'm probably not a very adult adult. Um, give me an example of what you mean, and uh, that might help me. I guess boundaries is a big thing, and sort of, I guess it's it's not self care in the you know classic pup form, but it's more of self-soothing I will able to regulate your emotions you said the magic word with boundaries because I I've lived in New York City for more than 20 years but I was born and raised in the south and I call myself a recovering southerner because we we end up with this thing with boundaries where we can't a I have a hard time saying no to people I really should be saying no to um, I have, I am mortified of hurting people's feelings and I actually keep myself from doing things where I'm afraid I'll be put in a position to be less than friendly with someone. I mean, this sounds out, you know, but that's just the, the way I am. And I get home here, all my nightmares, my nightmares are rarely about, you know, zombies, which, you know, are a legit scary thing. They're usually about social anxiety. And my primary social anxiety is I get home from an event and I replay in my head, did I say goodbye to that person I was talking to or did I just see a shiny object and walk away? Um, did I make that person feel welcome enough? Did I say, was I friendly enough to these people over here? Did I you know, and I, I'm mortified of all that. I resisted joining Facebook for so long because, you know, I would ask my friends, but what do you do when someone sends you a friend request and you don't want to be their friend? They say, just ignore them. Say, oh, you what? You ignore them? You know, so I was like, it was so, it was so, uh, such a need that I joined Facebook. Everybody, I was like, the last adopter, there was already an add a positivity page, you know, and I wasn't there yet. Um, but I've learned, I've learned how to ignore people. <laughs> you should see my emails and uh, my messages that have never been open. So yeah, I've, I've learned. Uh, that's actually a bad thing, I guess, but. Well, no, I, I, I'm often torn between the feeling of oh no, I am going to hurt people. And then the other feeling of, they don't care. Why do I think I'm so special that I can hurt people's feelings? And those two things are so true at the same time for me. And that often fucks me up. Just, 
I'm nothing special. I probably can't hurt them, but also you are going to hurt them and their lives are going to be destroyed because of that email you didn't reply to. You just gave me a really valuable piece of therapy. Thank you. I'll invite you. Thank you. Yes, please do. I'll ignore it. <laughs> also, I didn't, don't know what I just said. I was asleep. Um, <laughs> but a boom. <laughs> just put it under the sidewalk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a comedy callback good one sophie i mean it's been a while but i'm still <laughs> i'm still on fire um, <laughs> so so oh i mean obviously i could talk to you forever because well you've been alive for like a hundred years so there's enough to talk about oh, right? <laughs> I'll, I'll ask you I'm hurting people <laughs> i'll ask you the the final question um which is, do you remember the war? No, it's not. That's another joke. Uh, and then I'll ask you some uh, six extra fun questions for the Patreon people. Cool. Good. But like, this has been this has been so great. So my last question is: um, There are children born in this very moment today, and if they could, you know, they're all babies. But if they could actually think and sort of be perceptive of the world around them they would probably be scared to shit not just because of how the world looks but like at the moment but also just because of the very idea of being alive you know what i'm going to be living for for how many years and i'm going to be having to go through all these stages and i look at the adults and they don't seem super happy all of them so like what what is going on if you could talk to these kids that are all born today and they're all looking at you like, what? What is this? What would you say to them? Um, Sophie, you're forgetting one very important element here is that that's all they know. That reality that they see is all they know. So they're probably not feeling fear or what the hell because they don't know any different. I mean, think back when we were kids, when we went through, you know, horrible stuff. If we didn't know any differently, we didn't, we weren't as afraid. We didn't realize we were being damaged. So those babies who have nothing in their memory, except, you know, the inside of a warm womb, uh, this, all this new stuff is, is their world. That's, that's their, their default. So I would ask the baby to please soothe me and calm me down and stroke my ruffled feathers and tell me how they are so calm. How are they sleeping at night? The first thing the baby sees is just you going, hug me. (laughs) Thank you, baby. Thank you in advance, baby, who's going to help me live a better life and be calm. I love it. (laughs) Where can people go and find your stuff? Where can people support you, see the photos? I mean, I have two or three of your pictures on on my wall, and I always recommend you're the first name I always say when people talk about, you know, how do I learn to love my body? It's always go and just make sure you see as many fat people as you can, especially naked, especially when it's so beautiful and respectful as the photos you take. So, like, where can people find all of those, and how can they support you? There are 800 of those unapologetically fat people at adapositivity.com, A-D-I-positivity, all one word, dot com. 
Uh, I have a Patreon, which has changed my life. And it's the, you know, it's the only way I'm no longer paying for everything, which is patreon.com slash adipositivity. Um, on social media, I am at adipositivity everywhere that hasn't yet uh, banned me. Tumblr banned me long ago. Twitter, Twitter banned me the beginning of, uh, it's been more than a month. I'm on my second appeal with Twitter. them. Hey, the you also have porn and stuff on Twitter. It's on one day at the beginning of December, the haters went wild, oh. as they often do. They they generally attack harder when it's calendar season because they know I need social media to promote the calendar because that helps me stay alive. That keeps the project going. So in in one day, I was banned from Twitter and and uh, and had a post deleted from Instagram, which they do all the time. But I've since learned that I'm now shadow banned on Instagram. I'm on my second appeal at both Instagram and Twitter. Um, and Facebook, which is always threatening to ban me, I'm okay there for now. But I'm at at a positivity at all those places when I'm not banned. <laughs> so <laughs> you have calendars which you can get on your website. Uh, yes, if you go to adapositivity.com, uh, you should see right at the top. Uh, I jump right in with how you can support me, <laughs> and one of the links is to the um, to the new 2021 calendar. Yeah. Amazing. Thank oh, you. Thank you so much for that. I'm no, so proud of myself for promoting myself. Just no, that. of course. I mean, it can't just be me doing all the work. I have to get you to do it as well. <laughs> We're not working. We're both in our jammies. Let's be honest with these people. I mean, this, so, I mean, so comfortable. It looks it. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. Mopod. After we finished, I asked Substantia a bunch of extra questions. And her replies were brilliant. A genuinely super useful life hack, a hilarious embarrassing story, and an unpopular opinion that reminded me that I need to educate myself a bit more before I open my mouth. All of this is going to be uploaded to Patreon on Saturday. You can also get special behind-the-scenes recordings on Patreon. Head there now and sign up to get discount codes and my two stand-up shows for free, and also just join to support the podcast and help contribute to the transcripts, the editing, the equipment, software, domains, and all the hours that go into this, and of course, to keep it ad-free. We are self-produced. There's no big company helping with any of this. It's all on me. And of course, the lovely people who help out, well, get paid to help out. Anyways, mopod.com forward slash donate, M-O-H-P-O-D.com forward slash donate. If you liked this episode and felt like it, well, and felt if you like this episode and you felt something, like, share, retweet, give it a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, tell a friend, and make sure you go and say thank you to the guests for being part of this podcast. That's very important. Go to Substantia Jones and the Adipositivity Project and make sure to thank her for being part of this. And a special thanks to the following Patreon heroes. Amy Melody, Anastasia Graff, Andrea Cowper Rock, and Andy Walker, Anna Marie Hepburn, Barry Norton, Beth Payton, Cherry Winter, Claire Fletcher, Daniel Rafferty, Deborah Codice, Dieter Bonn by Jensen, Emma Chan, Vanilla Don Privacy, Soros, Aroba Terror Tubbs, Galway Cast, Georgia, 
Harold Van Dyke, Harry Minard, Helen Jerina, Isabel Johnston, Josie, Catherine Williams, Katie Hatfield, Katrina Pedersen, Kirsten E., Kirsten Davidson, Lindsay Bushniak, M. Dash, Madeline Linnell. Linnell? Madeline Linnell. <laughs> Welcome, Madeline. Maeve Houlihan, Maury Fraser, Megan Roberts, Paul Swaddle, Pierre Finneau, Rachel Furley, Ragdoll, Rianne Rivers, Robert Knowles, Robin Kappa, Samantha Kitson, Sarah Allitt, Sarah Plumer, Uh, Sheena Machette Cole, Simon James, Victoria Greer, Victoria Layton, and Zoe Stephenson. Love you all very, very much. And that, of course, includes all the other patrons whose names I unfortunately did not have time to mention. If you do want your name mispronounced and shouted out at the end of uh, the episodes, go join our Patreon and check out how. M-O-H-P-O-D dot com forward slash donate. Huge thank you to Substantia for doing this podcast and thank you to Dave Pickering for editing this episode, to Harriet Brain for writing and recording the jingle and to Justine McNichol for the logo. Speak to you next Wednesday. Bye. Oh,